Welcome to the Gay Fathers Podcast. Join us as our guests share stories of coming out, raising kids, and more. Thank you to the Utah Gay Fathers Association for producing this podcast. Interested in sharing your story? Reach out to us at podcast at gayfathers.org. Welcome to our latest episode of the Gay Fathers Podcast. I'm Ben. I'll be hosting today. And today we're with Max. And Max, uh, well, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Glad to have you here. This is this is kind of a new one for me. A lot of people that I've interviewed in the past I've kind of known. And so this will be fun for me because I, I don't know a lot about you. and I'm a newbie. Yeah. Well, let me ask you first. How did you find out about us? I... So I've been kind of looking for a support group for a real long time. It came to a point where I actually made one online, and that kind of fell apart. That's part of the whole story. But I was at Pride and just watching the parade, and it was hot and it was gross. <laughs> the parade was amazing, and we saw you guys in the parade, and I like lost my mind. I had no idea you existed. Had no idea that this was a thing in Utah, especially for fathers specifically. You know, there's a lot of support groups out there that are for teens or depression or suicide, and I I fit two of those three, but not fathers. And so seeing that really lifted my spirits quite a bit. And I took like 40 pictures of you guys as you were walking. <laughs> so I didn't miss any contact information or anything and reached out on Facebook and got connected with someone on there and joined the group. And it's, it's been awesome. It's been really, really a good experience so far. Good. And, and he's referring to so people know that the, that's the Utah Gay Fathers. You know, we're kind of the, I guess, what started this podcast and and hopefully we'll reach out and you'll be able to hear from other organizations throughout the country, but uh, on the Gay Fathers podcast, because this goes for anybody. But That's awesome. But yeah, that's, uh, you know, one thing that I found when I came out is I, I went to a couple, I went down to the Pride Center and went to a couple of different things, and I'm like, I don't really fit this, you know, dynamic. I'm not right. in the same space as this person, or I don't, you know, my... my Home situation is totally different, so I don't feel like I relate, you know, like... Right, and I think, you know, having kids and being married previously really kind of changes how you see life and how you see the world, and so, you know, there are a lot of stereotypes out there in the gay community, unfortunately, that sometimes I just, I don't feel like I belong to those. Right. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, my weekend, my every other weekend for me is about what am I cooking for dinner and what right. activities are we going to do that's family friendly and not about where am I, what, you know, what, what huge activity or what bar am I going to or anything right. like that. So it just didn't, you know, I, I get you. I, that's totally where I was at when. And that when, connection was kind of what I was looking for. You know, a group of guys who understand that I'm not available at the drop of a hat, right. that I've got other priorities. You know, I, I have to work, you know, I've got to, take care of my daughter when I have her on the weekends. I've got to plan activities to do on those weekends. I've got to keep my family life up and I have to have a social life. Like, right. There's a lot more going on than just, right. It's a lot of juggling. Sure. Well, and, and I think we'll, we'll touch on that. I'll, I'll try to get back to that when we start talking a little bit about dating, cause we'll get there. Sure. So I guess before we get too far, let's get into a little bit about, are, did you grow up in Utah? Where are you from initially? Yeah. So I was born in Ogden, Utah. Um, born and raised here in Zion, mm -hmm. as we like to call it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I am a, I come from a family of six. So I have an older sister and then a younger brother and a younger sister. I'm two parents. We were very...
very active in the LDS community growing up. My father was a bishop. You know, we did all of the typical Utah stereotypical Mormon activities that you do. And I served a mission. I did the whole temple thing. My brother served a mission, did the whole temple thing. And as of about six or seven years ago, we are all out of the church now. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we've done a complete 180. So you're not just the bishop's son, you're like the bishop's family is all... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're kind of anathema in our neighborhood, unfortunately, but it's, it's been a wonderful process. It's been a hard process. My dad was the first one to kind of leave the church, and he was very kind of vocal about it, very, I don't want to say pushy, because he wasn't pushy, kind of abrasive, you know, obviously there's... There's a lot, it's another sense of coming out, leaving the church, and everyone kind of takes it a different way. Right. But fortunately, his experience kind of allowed the rest of us to, to kind of have that, our own experiences, and really make the decision if, is this a good thing or a bad thing to have in our life, so. Right, right. Well, that's interesting, right? it, uh, that, that doesn't usually happen that way, but. No, no, we're kind of an oddity, but I would have it no other way. <laughs> so, in your growing up, I guess one of the questions we do ask quite a bit is, is when, at what point did you find, kind of figure out that, hey, I don't fit into the heterosexual mold. I might be a little different. You know, I, I can't really pinpoint it to an age. I like to say kind of when I was around 10 or 11, I started looking at guys primarily and thinking, oh, they're kind of attractive or they're kind of cute. But that was a, a big no-no in the Mormon faith, and so it turned into, oh, they look familiar. So I'm going to keep looking at them, and that's okay, <laughs> kind of a thing. It was this weird mental game that I would play to try and kind of avoid those thoughts and those feelings. Or I would say, you know, oh, I admire them, and I think that they're so cool, so I'm going to keep looking at them and start fantasizing other things. Right. And, and so that was obviously a big... A big thing but then the other part I, I've never really fit that heterosexual you know kind of straight norm that existed when I was growing up I grew up in the in the 90s and kind of in the early 2000s and so it was this whole you know if you don't like cars boobs and sports then you're a lesser guy you're not as masculine as you know someone else and so that that was really hard as well. I got bullied quite a bit. You know, I was a band geek. I was a theater nerd. I'd rather listen to Broadway than rap kind of a mm -hmm. thing. And, and so that, of course, you know, put a big target on my back. Yeah, it sucked. Growing up, I had a good childhood, but I also had kind of this secret, kind of darker side that not a lot of people know about. Right. You know, I, I'm a very outgoing person. I, growing up, I was very optimistic. And I made a lot of friends. I was on the student body. I, you know, was in band. I was very good at what I did in band. And, and that was great and fine. But then in the locker rooms, I was teased relentlessly. And I had a lot of body issues. And this crippling anxiety of being perfect. And I'm the oldest son, so I had to set the example for the rest of the family. And right. I had to make sure Jesus was happy and <laughs> do all of these kind of things that I thought at the time gave me worth and gave me kind of a card to be loved, which is the sad thing about it all. So yeah, it was, it was interesting growing up. 
I, I loved growing up in U Ogden. Ogden is, I think, a lot more diverse than a few other places here in Utah. Right, yeah. So that opened up my eyes to to different worlds. But again, at the same time, I had that mantle of the LDS faith wearing me down. Right. Well, and it's interesting you bring up, because I, I, you know, I think this happens a lot in, in repressive cultures that it's not just here in Utah, but throughout, where... I remember having those same justifications of why do I want to look at that guy, you know? Sure. And it was always like, well, I, I wish I was as athletic as him, or yep. I wish that I, <laughs> you know, I wish I could be like him, or I just want to emulate him, or I want to, you know, I want to be his friend. And, right, right. You know, it, yeah, and then, of course, you'd have those moments where those thoughts would go a little bit further, and right. then you'd have to step back and say, oh, no, i got to bring this back, and we got to be friends, and... Right, right, and I've got to find a girl that I have to crush on, you know, in quotations, so that, you know, it's, right. it's a mess. Right. And unfortunately, I, I let, you know, kind of the church run my life in that regard, you know, to the point where I hid a lot of my true feelings and a lot of, you know, my own opinions even, even outside of my sexuality. You know, I had these questions about the church, about, you know, it being the only one true church. You know, I, I've always loved different religions and spirituality and learning about other belief patterns. And I've had friends, you know, growing up, my best friend in elementary school, she wasn't Mormon. And I, I struggled with this idea that, you know, just because she doesn't go to the same church that I go to, she was going to be you know, sent, you know, to outer darkness and she didn't belong and almost like she was a lesser person. And I could not get behind that. Right. Uh, you know, in high school, we would... I would relentlessly search through the Bible and the Book of Mormon to find scriptures that would counter the claim that it's the one true church. But again, at the same time, the social construct that I was living in kind of forced me to put that aside and try and make my peers and my family happy by, you know, following blindly this, this organization. Right. And I do want to point out that I don't have anything against the LDS faith. You know, it gave me my morals. It has helped me become the person I am. But yeah, it was it was a struggle. I, I won't lie that, you know, their teachings and their doctrine put me in a difficult place. Right. Well, and, and even as, you know, hopefully things are improving in that arena, and, and we certainly hope that they continue to make strides in, in trying to be more... Absolutely. ...feeling and, and empathetic to us. But, you know, definitely, I, I mean, I get it, I grew up in, in a pretty close to the same generation of yours, a little bit on the earlier side of it, but same thing where it wasn't a very positive experience. It was not positive at all to be a, a, a same-sex attracted person <laughs> I, or gay person. I hate that term. Right. <laughs> no, and, and I absolutely, I absolutely abhor it myself, but I, you know, that's, that's the term I, that's the only term I could possibly work around because I couldn't be gay because gay was worse than same-sex attracted you know gay was right. like you'd given up and and that was just and there came a point even in my marriage where I kind of decided well maybe I'm bi you know I'm bisexual and I've chosen a life with a woman so that's okay right and again it was these these mind games for lack of a better term to try and convince myself that I was okay right and that I could make it day by day and unfortunately I had to do that you know, it was the only way to survive, which is tragic. 
Yeah, and it, you know, it, it was a constant thing. It wasn't a, you thought about it once a week and you had to come up with some solution in your head. No, it was a not at all. calculated, every minute of every, especially in high school, like, I think that guy's cute over there, but I, I can't do that. I've got to do this, 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 right. and this. I've got to remind myself. I've got to sing a hymn. I've got to, you know. I've got to act a certain way, and I can't say that I like this song because it will, you know. Right make expose me this this vulnerable side that i've been hiding and the feeling that everybody was watching you for me it was everybody's watching me and, and everyone and, cared so much <laughs> and was waiting for me to make that one mistake that they could just point the finger and be like you're gay and right. you're horrible and right yeah it, it's a it's a tough environment to work out and it's there there's a lot to work through in, in coming out so so let's kind of talk a little bit about that you you got married yes how did you meet your your ex um, So I came home from my mission in 2011, and my while I was on my mission, my mother worked with my ex's sister-in-law, and my sister worked with my ex's brother-in-law. And so while she was at school and I was on my mission, they had kind of talked about setting us up, and so eventually it led to a blind date, and which led to this and that, and this and that, and then, you know, about... A year and a half to two years later, we got married. Hmm. You got to play, they played matchmaker. They sure did. <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, so a question that I, is that something that had crossed your mind even before you met her? Like, you know, I guess this may be something I haven't even thought about as much as if you hadn't had that set up, what would that have looked like? Do you, I mean, this is all theoretical, so... You know, and, and hindsight's 50-50. I was right off my mission, and my mission president, my exit interview, he told me that my spiritual progress stopped the minute I got home and would start back up again the minute I got married. Oh, wow. Yeah. No pressure. And so, you know, you had this mindset, and at the time, all my family was still active, and so, again, it was this mantle of it was the next thing to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the LDS faith, one of their most crippling things is that they teach kids that you have to plan five or ten years into the future. You have to know today what you're going to do ten years down the road. Right. Instead of living in the moment and being mindful and really appreciating who you are today. Right. And so, again, I still had that mindset that, oh, I've got to get married, I've got to get married, got to get married. And so... I found this girl who was ambitious and who was passionate about life and who, you know, really had this kind of liberalistic mindset about Mormonism and had a down-to-earth family who some were in the church, some were out of the church. And so it, at the time, I was like, oh, I, I found this awesome individual who will allow me, you know, to have my own thoughts, but also go to church and do the right. doctrine and everything like that and that mimicked kind of what my family was going through at the time that you know we, we've called ourselves liberal mormons when we were active because we we aren't the norm we're not jack we weren't jack mormons right but we weren't you know we would go get kfc on sundays and go have dinner you know and Sem spend the time together <laughs> i know we were going to <laughs> and her family kind of emulated that and so it was this thing where it was like I've had the circle peg, and I was a square piece, and you could force it into it, and it would work, mm -hmm. kind of a thing. And I, you know, took the plunge. So you were, so then you're married, and I guess, 
obviously at this point you're out. What was that process like when, you know, you, and, and in that process of being married, you also have a child. And... Right. Yeah. So, and again, I, at one point, you know, I loved this woman and I you know, wanted to have a child with her. And that was a very calculated decision. It wasn't an accident or an oops baby or anything like that. And, you know, we had some really, really awesome and great moments. We got to travel Europe together and she helped me, you know, get through college and I saw her flourish in her profession and, and it was a really positive experience. And then some incidents happened within the marriage that really kind of shattered the rose colored glasses. Her personality changed a lot. My personality changed a lot. I started having a lot more doubts about the church. I had some personal things going on as well that I wasn't really forthright with her. And it, you know, it, it just kind of all of a sudden shattered. And I really started contemplating my happiness. And this really awesome individual I had met at the beginning of the marriage kind of did a 180 and became very controlling, very manipulating. She did not like my family at all. She didn't like my friends. And it, it kind of became this... If you hang out with your family, you're a bad person. If you hang out with these friends, you're a bad person. And you have to agree with my idea of life or you're a bad person. Mm -hmm. And you have to love my family more than your family or you're a bad person kind of a thing. And it, it really became this emotional and verbal kind of abuse that I tried to just deal with it because again, I was trying to live that Mormon lifestyle of marriage is the best, you know, cleave unto your wife and leave your family and happy wife, happy life. And right. all of these cliches that were making me miserable, absolutely miserable. And the church came out with that doctrine that November about how children of gay parents can't get baptized. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was a coup de grace for me. That, right. Because I had been feeling, you know, these same sex attraction feelings. And so... I kept thinking to myself that if I had ever come out or ever made this known that my innocent little daughter couldn't partake in the social construct that we have here in Utah. Right. And so there were a lot of different aspects going on and I was struggling internally. The marriage was struggling. I was struggling with my belief system. I was struggling with my sexual identity. And then Memorial Day of 2016 happened and there was kind of a big blowout with her family my family kind of you know this marital argument and prior to that we'd had some pretty intense and heated arguments mm -hmm. and I, I call it divorce ideation instead of suicide ideation where you start making game plans and you start thinking of okay I, I can't do with this argument I can't live like this anymore so if I have one more argument, then, you know, my brother lives here. I can stay with him for a month and sort things out and maybe reassess the situation. Right. And, you know, we had that Memorial Day argument. And then the next day we had apologized the night previous. The next day came and it was like the argument had never stopped and things blew up and situation occurred where I was supposed to stay at home and kind of watch my daughter 
and she essentially told me that I could not have my daughter if I was acting this certain way and left to her parents. And that is where I snapped. I said, I can't do this. I can't, right. I can't do this. And so I'm going to start getting emotional. Well, no, it's, it's a <gasps> tough period of time. Um, and so I, I went to my parents' house and kind of unloaded everything that was happening. And before this, I had tried very, very hard to keep things kind of close to the chest, not really tell them everything that was going on. Just because, again, there's that cliche that you don't want to tell your parents and your family all the negative because then they start to associate the negative with your partner. And later that day, my ex-wife called and said that if I don't come home and work on this and fix this, that she was going to get a divorce attorney that night. And the escalation from needing some space to divorce attorney really just kind of shook my core and said, oh my God. This is the kind of person that I married, that she's willing to take it that far because she's not getting the weight what she wants. Right. And it was a double-edged sword because at the same time, I felt this incredible weight lift off my shoulders at the same time of, okay, it, things aren't working. Things haven't been working. Okay. You do that. Right. And... You know, at the time, I, again, I was still struggling with my sexuality, and I honestly believe I did not leave the marriage because of my sexuality. I left, I left the marriage because of what I was going through at the time. Right. Because of the emotional and the verbal and kind of manipulation, the abuse that was going on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Sparks Note version, I stayed with my parents for a few days. She came over unannounced, and we had kind of a hard talk, and I put my foot down and said, you know, I need a few days to kind of reevaluate where I'm at. And then we met up a week later, and again, it just it came across as very accusatory that, you know, I have all these things that I need to fix as a wife, but you have all these things you need to fix as a husband, too. Right. And that's where it just kind of was like, okay, this is not going to work out. And then the following week, she served me papers. Right. <laughs> That's always a fun day, isn't it? Oh, it was. It was more the shock of how devoted and how committed she was a week before to make the marriage work, and then a week later, I was getting papers served. Mm -hmm. And again, it was kind of a, a revelation of the the character of this person that I had married. That she wasn't getting what she wanted. Her idea of her life was not happening, and so if she started to lash out right and that began the worst the absolute worst part of my life so after she had served me papers she had some outrageous terms and she wanted me to be supervised when i saw my daughter and she wanted 100 percent custody legal and physical custody she had taken some parts of my life and exaggerated them into outlandish claims and for six months, she would not let me see my daughter. And that was the most brutal thing that I have ever been through. Right. There's no, there's no explanation until... I mean, there's no way to describe that. Really, there's not. And, you know, I would, I would stay up at night thinking over and over and over, oh my God, my daughter's not going to remember who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, she was about a year at the time. And... I, it was just, it was miserable, 
miserable and I would ask multiple times over and over and over let, let me please see her like I'm having a birthday party for my nephew so this idea that I need supervision will be met because my family will be there I just want to see her for a few hours and it was rejected and denied every single time and it, it was harrowing absolutely harrowing and I I became a shell of myself I wasn't sleeping I was anxious I was depressed and I got really close to ending my life. Really close. Thank God that I have an incredible family and an incredible set of friends because they really pulled me up from, from that dark place and, and helped me realize that, you know, even if I can't fight for myself, that I should fight for my, my adorable little girl because that's what matters in life and she deserves to have a dad regardless of what's going on with her parents. Right. And by God, I stuck it out, and we went to court in November, and the judge gave me some time to see my daughter again every week, and a custody evaluation was put into place, and so that was another fun six months of custody evaluation, and my ex subpoenaed me and my parents and my sister. And again, all of these things that had happened really opened my eyes to what have I gotten myself into? Right. You know, I think divorce really shows the true nature of people and what they care about and what they love. And it was hard. It was, it was really, really difficult, especially getting my family involved. The custody evaluation was difficult. I had to sit across the table from a polygrapher and, and tell him that I had never had sex with my daughter, that I had never sent lewd pictures of my daughter. And that, that eats you up. It really, it really messes with you. Meanwhile, she's doing all of these crazy things and there's no punishment. Right. Yeah, it's un unfortunately can be a, uh, an awfully one-sided thing and and i think we have a little bit of a disadvantage as gay men going through that process absolutely when especially when we're not as prepared as maybe we would like to be especially when you've trusted someone to, enough to have a child with them right and then all of a sudden they they completely stab you in the back hmm. and you know after the custody evaluation ended the custody evaluator said that it should be 50 50 custody no supervision you know standard every other week my ex said the evaluator didn't do a good enough job, and so it continued, and which led to a deposition, a four-hour deposition, where her and her attorney essentially could ask me whatever they wanted to ask. And that was the first time that I said that I was gay in front of her. And, and again, that was, it was a brutal experience. Right. Well, and I mean, I, I don't know. That's got to be a tough situation to come out in yeah i mean i mean i had i had come out before to friends and family but in that situation you know forcing me to admit that i was gay under legal penalties right that it crushes you well and i don't know about you but in my situation when i was coming out that was like the worst thing in the world is to have my sexuality because you know you hear all these horrible stories and i mean you're already experiencing this horribleness yeah 
and then to have that thrown at you, you know, and you have to wonder what is the legal repercussion of me just simply being a gay person, right? And what does that have to do with me being a parent? But right, right, exactly, and you know revelations along the way that how can I teach my daughter to be happy if I'm not happy myself? Right. And, you know, having this construct and my likes and, you know, very private aspects of my life being put on display for everyone to see Mm -hmm. and having to defend those and, you know, bust my butt to show and to prove that I love my daughter and I won't hurt her. Right. It was outrageous. And, I mean, it, it got to the point where we eventually led up to a, a full-blown trial that was going to cost us fifty to $80,000 because she would not budge. Mm-hmm. And she did not, you know, recognize that I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to fight you to the very end. And, I mean, she even got to the point where she called my family as witnesses for her you know, to try and shame and humiliate me and give up so that I would cave to her demands. And I didn't. And on June 28th, the divorce was finalized. Of this year? Of this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is a little fresh (laughs) still. I mean... No, and it is. And this is... It's really good to kind of go through everything and kind of revisit these emotions and, and realize that if, you know, there are fathers out there who are struggling that it might get really sucky for a while, but yeah. there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and I would hate when people would tell me that while I was going through all of this. I would hate so much. Oh, it gets better. Oh, it will work out in the end. But it, it wasn't better at the time. No, and it wasn't, and there was no end in sight, you mm-hmm. know, and I had a really hard conversation with my dad once where he, you know, was kind of getting heated with me because I was so depressed about not seeing my daughter and he kept saying well the divorce won't last forever and you'll eventually get to see your daughter again and he just didn't get it right and you know I he's come to terms with that you know when I told him the divorce was over he was like I was completely wrong like this is going on almost three years Mm -hmm. you know and and unless you've been through it it's really hard to empathize and to right to know those hard emotions well, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I've been through a very, very similar situation. We didn't get to quite the same legal battles. Just, you know, to, I, I don't know, it's tough. But yeah, I went, I went about 18 months with uh, the supervised visitation business mm-hmm. that was totally unfounded and, you know, and it's ridiculous. And it was just, it was a whatever she could throw at me, you know, and it. And it, it it makes you feel like a villain. Like right. Supervised vision is for drug addicts and alcoholics. And I, yeah, I'm not the best person. I've made my mistakes. And yeah, I, but I'm not, Right. I'm not this same. But, uh, it's just, it's yeah, it's, it's terrible. You know, and, and you do, you feel like you're in a cage for no you reason. You do. No reason whatsoever. You really do. And through all of this, I was coming out to friends and coming out to family and trying to date and, you know, dealing with this, I'm still married, but I'm dating, so is this adultery? What's going on? Right. <laughs> kind of a thing. And it it was a mess. Yeah. I, I, I empathize with quite a bit of that, that uh, unfortunately, that, yeah. that we see that goes through. So let me ask you, during that process of coming out and having to come out was that 
was that something that ever crossed your mind even like way before the divorce actually or the separation actually occurred were you ever worried if i come out that's just going to create this monster or you know i i tried to avoid thinking like that and again i had kind of come to the conclusion that i must be bi and so i was bi but i had fallen in love with a girl and so that was my preference and i was just going to stick with that okay um really the decision to come out and to kind of accept who i was was that same day when i left i decided then and there that i was going to stop doing things to impair my happiness i was going to cut all ties with whatever was telling me how to live my life and what to do to be happy and what to do to be loved mm-hmm. you know when people ask why i left the church i tell them you know the biggest reason for me isn't the history isn't the you know religious facts versus fiction or it was i felt unconditionally loved you know i had to do a b and c to get access to God's love. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that I in my marriage as well. Right. That I had to be this kind of a person and I had to do these kind of things in order to keep the family happy and right. And that's when I decided no more. I'm going to embrace who I am for once. And you know, I have a, a really good friend who kind of attributed the symbolism of a phoenix to that and I took that and ran with it. You know, I had this previous life, and that's burned out and died, and now I'm going to be the max that I've always wanted to be. Right. You got it. So, was that period of time... So you started, I guess, who who was the first person you told, and, and how was that process of deciding, oh, okay, now I've told myself, but now I'm telling others? Um, so... It's kind of twofold. A lot of people already kind of knew just through talking and through interactions, but the first time I actually said it out loud to someone, I had a really, really good friend from college, and she had also gone through a divorce a few months prior, and she was kind of one of those catalysts of, oh, this you know, sweet little innocent girl that I thought at the time has gone through a divorce. Why, why can't I? And we had become really good friends. We worked in the same location and really developed a good trust. And one night she came over and we went and got Arby's and we were sitting on my floor right here. And I just said, hey, I got something to tell you. And that was really kind of the first time that I I said it out loud. And she was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I've been waiting like, for you to say it. Come on, you're ruining my grand entrance. <laughs> and, that, and that's been the general consensus with everyone. You know, I, I, all of my family was like, yeah, we've known for a very long time. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks um, for letting me know. <laughs> even my friends. like, uh, it's. I have never, I haven't had anyone up to this point who has, one, been surprised and oh my gosh you are or who's acted negatively towards it everyone in my life up to this point has been incredibly supportive and incredibly accepting and it's it's a really beautiful thing to see yeah. and I, I think that's something that for for people listening that maybe are still in the closet and looking at is that's there are negative things that happen and, and there definitely have been negative people that you know I can't say that it's going to be, everything's going to be roses and everything, but you'd be surprised at 
how many people really just, at least at this point in our in our culture, it isn't the end of the world like you might have predicted. And that's something that I really learned through this divorce is life can get dark, life can get really, really scary. But something that my dad always said, you know, he said it right before I left on my mission, that no matter how crappy the day has been, sun is going to go down, sun is going to come up the next day. And that's your next shot at trying to make it a better day. Yeah. And it, I'm not going to lie, I it's been tough, it's been really difficult, and life is difficult. Mm-hmm. But we can do hard things. And if you find something to focus on, whether it's your children or your self-progression or your job even focus on that and make it your purpose until you can get through that darkness right you know i i started kind of a a support group on facebook and we called it be the phoenix you know of anyone struggling or going through a hard time that you know take that darkness and make it a strength and come out brighter on the other end so that's awesome and it's you know as terrible as that is, experience has been and not something that we would ever I would never recommend anybody no. <laughs> choose that as an opportunity to, to dive into. But but now if you face struggles you've kind of you've seen that pretty dark time and right. it's makes it a little it does make it a little easier to say, All right, this is gonna suck for a while. Right. Right. But I, I just had a conversation better. with my siblings today and my sister got a new job she got a promotion and she was like oh this is gonna suck so bad give me some like lift me up pet me up and i said hey if i can make it through my divorce you can do this kind of thing and that was like oh yeah i can do that got this yeah (laughs) kind of a thing so it's awesome yeah it's been a a journey one that i'm glad has at least closed for now (laughs) right that chapter's yes on on its way so now now that you uh, what's your arrangement with your your daughter, right? So I have 50-50 legal custody. Okay. And so my ex can't make any big ticket decisions. And so essentially anything regarding school, religion, or healthcare without my input. And then I get my daughter every other weekend from Friday through Sunday. And every Wednesday for three hours. And every other holiday. Mm-hmm. So pretty standard Utah custody arrangement. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty standard. And it, it was all that I was asking for in the beginning. Right. So I, I got what I wanted, essentially, and I can't be more happy. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate, the, the trip that it's taken to get to that point. To the bare minimum. Yeah. 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 And uh, if, you, if you don't mind sharing, how old's your daughter now? She's three. She's three. Okay. And how are things? So good. She's a firecracker, and I absolutely love her. Okay. She, I call her my little antidepressant. She, she comes over and it puts everything into perspective and the little intricacies that we have together really make this fight worth it. You know, we'll be sitting on the couch watching a movie and all of a sudden she'll grab my face and turn it towards her and just look at me for a few seconds and then put my face back to watch the show. <laughs> and that means the world to me. Right. You know, something so kind of dumb, but... But no, it's... It's just, it's precious. And another moment that comes to mind is we were driving back to her mother's one day, and we were talking about the weather or something. She's a chatterbox. And so we were talking about, I can't even remember what, and all of a sudden, 
she brings up, and Dad loves the rain. And it was like, I've mentioned that maybe once in the past, and you took that and remembered that for Uh some reason that I don't know about. And it just, I love that little girl so much, and have been through hell and will continue to go through hell as long as that keeps her happy. Well, and I think that's important to notice. Even, you know, you talk about how that was just one little tiny thing, but that, I mean, that just reflects how important you are in her life. Right, and, you know, you worry so much with divorce, I think, that, you know, kids are going to all of a sudden not love you anymore. But being a father is incredibly strong and incredibly bonding. Mm -hmm. And no matter how hard an ex might try to take that away from you, they're going to have to own up to that one day. Right. And unfortunately, you know, kids kids are smarter than we think. Right. And they are a lot more feeling than I think we give them credit for. And it's something that we, we talk a little bit as in our support group as that comes up is, you know, in those tough times, you just have to be you and continue to be you. Because at some point, you know, and this isn't just for gay fathers or anything. I mean, this is for divorce in general. If you're just you you're and you're you have quality time with your kid as they grow up at some point every you know our personal our flaws as fathers are going to shine and flaws of the exes are going to shine and and i think it's important that we just take that opportunity that we have to spend with them and and make a quality time about them and not about divorce or anything else that's going on because right build memories yeah and they'll figure it out someday. Mm-hmm. Someday the truth will come out. And it will. And and again, you know, for all the negativity that my ex put me through, eventually she's going to have to answer my daughter. Right. You know, why did you not let me see dad? Why did you make it so hard for dad? Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure she's created a narrative in her head that, you know, defends her in some aspect, and that's fine. But she's going to ask me the same thing. Right. So. Well, and that narrative, even if she makes that narrative in her head... Your, your daughter knows you, and that's not necessarily going to jive. Right. And I, you know, and, and I'm not saying this to be to create animosity with exes of any kind, but no, I'm, I'm just suggesting that that as we look at how difficult divorce is, that I think trying to be as positive through it as, as possible, and and trying to not it directly involve our kids as much as possible is exactly. is really important because let them see you for you. Uh, and let them figure, you know, at some point they'll figure it out. Right, right. It's, it's exactly. not worth throwing, trying to put ideas in their head about somebody else. and Somebody else is not even a part of your life, really, anymore, other than that one connection. So. Right, and, and in all honesty, I think my ex is a fantastic mother, and it's clear that my daughter loves her, and I will support that. But, yeah, like you said, you know, it's, we should focus on children and not what's going on personally and make right. it about us. We need to make it about our child. Yeah, so. yeah. It's a tough thing to separate. There's a lot of emotions that go yes, there. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Easier said than done. So let's talk a little, we'll move forward a little bit on, uh, so you are dating. I am, yes. And so how long have you been dating? About six months. Okay. And how has that been as a gay father? What's that experience been like? Even before this, I mean, did you run into anything where that was um, ever an issue? Or? Yeah, so let me clarify. I, I started dating about October after I had left my wife. Mm-hmm. 
just to kind of see, am I really gay? Okay, I'm gay. Right. I'm not bi. I am gay. <laughs> and it was kind of an off and on thing, really. I, I had one boyfriend, and that was, I think, that was an interesting situation. I think I needed kind of reassurance that, okay, I am gay. I am in a, you know, a gay relationship. This is what I want. But really, at the same time, it started this kind of debacle about, okay, I have a daughter, she's first priority, you will always be second priority. Right. And that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of guys out there, especially mm -hmm. in the LGBT community. And so that kind of started this dating situation where I would go on a few dates with guys and then say, oh, I have a daughter, and they would disappear. I'm never here for a moment again. Or situations where I would tell them I had a daughter and they were okay with it, in quotations, and then when I couldn't drop anything to be on a date with them or, you know, I was busy doing stuff with her or planning to do stuff with her, they would get all, you know, personally attacked and, you know, accuse me of not wanting them to be in the picture, essentially. And so it's a tricky business. It's definitely a weird dynamic. Right. It, it, yeah. I get you. I, you know, I've in my situation, similar thing where guys were either too interested yeah. because they suddenly they get their white picket fence with kids. Yes. Or I don't want to have anything to do with that. Right. Um, right. And I'm, so I, I'm dating someone right now and we kind of had to have that hard discussion was, you know, we are not two dads and my daughter. We are two dad my daughter and his boyfriend kind of a thing and if that means taking a few step backs and you know reevaluating things then that's what we have to do and you know this dynamic of not being in first place where does that put me in the relationship right you know is you know i want to have priority but at the same time i know that your daughter trumps my priority and and how do I process that? How do I deal with that? And at the same time, how do I, not only as a father, but also as a boyfriend, you know, demonstrate intimacy and make time and, you know, build that relationship and make him feel comfortable, but at the same time respecting my position as a father first. Right, right. It's definitely a, a juggling act. And I, I've run into that same situation. Mm -hmm. And I, I, my partner and I have been together for a few years. And, and that was a... That was a struggle, you know, at first. Uh, and it still has its moments where he says, well, I know I'm not first. And it's like, well, I'm not really going to say no to that, but... And it's kind of a double, like a... I, I don't like that phrase because they are first in one aspect of my life. Right. But not the other. Right. You know, and... And they're not mutually exclusive, necessarily. No, not like, at all. Not at all. There's no reason why... It, to me, I, I kind of look at it and like, we're not in a situation where... I have to make a decision that's, you know, absolute, cut this one off and keep right. this one. It's like, we're not in that boat. We can, right. we can make this work together. And, and I think it takes a lot of um, self-esteem to recognize, okay, my partner's with their children. I can't be there, but I trust in the relationship and I trust in my partner to know that it's going to be okay <laughs> once he's, you know, not with his children anymore that I will kind of fill that role again. And it's a tricky thing to deal with, and I don't know if a lot of people recognize that going into a relationship, but also have the stamina for it. It's, right. it's challenging, especially as kids get older. It, 
becomes more of a, a bigger time commitment. You have recreational activities and school stuff. and Yeah. Well, let me ask you a little bit about that and just get kind of your opinion on it. So you've been dating, you've been dating this guy for how long? About six months. Okay. And so has he actually met your daughter at this he point? He has, yes. Okay. And, and how was that decision? And, and do they spend time together now or is it? So kind of yes and no. Originally, I, I am of the thought pattern and thought thinking that I have people important in my life. I want them to meet other people who are important in my life. Right. My daughter is the most important person in my life. She's a big aspect of who I am and how I live my life. So if I'm dating someone, I want them to know that individual. And, you know, that, again, hindsight's kind of 50-50. Maybe that decision was a little premature, but my daughter absolutely loves him. He absolutely loves my daughter. It was a great connection, and they really jive really well. He's great with kids, and it's absolutely wonderful to see. X did kind of bring up that she would like to meet him, and that was kind of a glass-shattering moment again for me especially just because of all the pain that she put me through, and not only me, but all of my family. That, right. Well, you put all of these people in my life through so much pain and misery, what are you going to do to this person? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where I had to reevaluate of, okay, maybe it's best to pull back how much time he sees her until I feel comfortable with my ex meeting him. That way, you know, it's a compromise. That, you know, I'm still going to date him, and know every now and then he might still see her for an hour or so mm-hmm. um, and then when i'm ready for her to meet him and feel comfortable with that then we can reevaluate again yeah and so yeah i think in some aspects things got a little romanticized a bit and again that's why we kind of had to pull back and reevaluate a few things unfortunately right. Well, not unfortunately. You know, it was one of those hard talks that is hard and difficult, but at the end, you know, if if you're in it to win it, then you'll work through your issues. Right, right. So. Well, and it, I think that's a tricky question that a lot of gay men that are coming out of heterosexual marriages face is, you know, how does that introduction go and, and where does that go from there? And, right. You know, it, it's a tricky thing to, to navigate and... Yeah, there's a lot of romanticized, there's a lot of big dreams, there's a lot of, oh, everything's going to be great and wonderful. And Well, and you mentioned the white picket fence, and I think that's kind of a big hang-up too, especially in Utah where, you know, a lot of the dating culture is so marriage-focused. Mm-hmm. You know, even us gay guys, you know, a lot of us have that still built into us, and so when we're in a committed relationship, we automatically think, okay, in three years' time, I've got to be married to this person. Right. Instead of just living in the moment and the future is a week from now and not two years from now right right and that's that's hard it's a it's a hard thing to swallow i think and and i i look at my relationship now and and you know we i think the way that we've made it work has been that where you know we've slowed things down and said things aren't nothing has to change tomorrow you know there's there's no need to have wedding bells as you know right or whatever that next step in anybody's life is to to move forward you know we we can still enjoy each other's company and And i think something that we have the advantage of is you know god forbid if the relationship did ever fall apart or break up i know that i'm going to be okay Mm -hmm. that i've got my daughter i've been through this nightmare of a divorce it sucks but i'm going to wake up tomorrow and the world's going to keep moving Mm -hmm. and 
put on your big boy pants and right. keep moving forward. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the kind of touches, I was talking to, to another gay father, I think it was just last night, a little bit about that, and, and he was talking a bit about, oh, you know, kind of how he wishes that, he wishes he was in my place with that, you know, partner and all of this mm-hmm. other stuff, and and that's the thing that comes up a lot, is there's this big ideal that we must have that connection. We must have that significant other in our life, right. and that's all there is to it. And, and It's not the case. All I could say to him is, you know, it's having somebody in your life is an addition to your happiness. Right. It isn't the equal to your happiness. It is just one of those things. All right, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a right. codependency that... I'm only happy if I'm with somebody. And if you can be happy alone, that's the foundation for being happy with someone else. Right. And so you've got to, I feel like, reach that level before you can commit. And, and I think there's a certain level of healthy attraction that comes with being able to meet somebody that's happy in their life as it is and doesn't right. need somebody. I, I, it's a turn on for me, for sure. Right. I don't want to, you know, I was in such a kind of a codependent marriage that now if I see any sense of codependency, I'm out. <laughs> right. You know, it's a big red flag for me. And I, when, you know, I was dating the guys who had stable jobs and were busy and, you know, we had to schedule a day and a time to do something, that's attractive to me. That shows me that you, you have a life outside of us. Right. And I think there's value in that. Yeah, I think it, there's a... I totally agree. Uh, it's, it's. Been, I, I learned the lesson the hard way. Oh, I did too. <laughs> I think we all have. And I think that's you know fine. You know we have a lot of because because we suppress so much when we're younger, and we don't allow, allow ourselves to emotionally grow through those experiences. You know we're we're kind of in that same boat where you get once you have that freedom, suddenly you have to navigate. What is it like to actually date somebody you're interested in? Like, right. And both emotionally right. and physically and sexually and Right, you know. and it's it's a whole new world and it's awesome. But <laughs> it's it was interesting to me. It was almost like I was rediscovering myself. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time that I kissed a guy, it was like, Oh my gosh, this is what kissing is supposed to feel like. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. All the times that I was looking in the corner like the guy and the girl making out in high school yeah. and thinking, that's just a bunch of bull crap. Like, they're just making that up to show off. Right. And now you're like, oh. Well, a big thing for me, too, is, you know, the first time that I was really like, oh, my gosh, this feels different is when I held hands with a guy for the first time. Prior to this, any time I had cuddled or felt or held hands with girls, it always kind of felt cold and distant. Mm-hmm. The first time I did it with a guy, it was this warm, like, safe, comforting feeling. And it was like, what is happening to me? Right. <laughs> this is okay. <laughs> this feels good. Right. Yes. So. It, is, it is an awesome experience to finally have that, that sense of being able to be authentic. And, right. And learn, learn about yourself. Right. Let me ask you kind of a question that comes up, just totally off the cuff. Do you, did you find, because we talked a little bit about codependency, and, and I think that that's a very common thing that happens. And, and I think it's outside of just mixed orientation marriages. I think it happens in, in Utah in general with a lot of marriages. But when you started dating, did you find yourself finding partner or 
guys to date that kind of felt back into that comfortable yes. space of this is who I was married to and mm-hmm. this is where I'm at again. Yeah, that my first boyfriend, a lot of the same signals. You know, time spent away was time wasted and and a lot of these 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 red alerts that what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And essentially it's what ended the relationship was I had to realize that I was in the same pit mm-hmm. or was starting to get down into that same pit and I, I needed to get out. Yeah. And I think that's what it, it's important about the self-discovery phase of being able to say, I don't need to get into something right away. I can kind of and feel I think, things out. I think that's kind of a double-edged sword because, you know, I have these warning signs now and so if I am dating someone and they start showing those warning signs, it's a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard because they will say, well, I'm not your ex. Well, I know you're not my ex. I'm in a relationship with you, but you've got to realize that these things are big deals for me. Yeah, there's and, a certain triggers there. Right. And, you know, I know you're not the same individual, but you're doing something that makes me remind or remember them. Right. And it is how it is, you know? And it's definitely a balance because nobody's, nobody's going to be able to be totally 100% away from anything that you've experienced before. And open communication, I think, is the biggest thing there is, hey, you're, you're setting me off in this way. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. And, and that, for me, means the world. Right. You know, just yeah. just that understanding of, oh, shoot, I'm sorry. Okay, cool. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that's great. I th- you know, and that, that shows some maturity to have somebody do that in return. Well, so I'll ask one last question and then we'll get into the Fab Five. Cool. we're kind of, you know, we never hit the 30 minute I mark. Know. But it's bad. all right. It was great. No, I don't feel bad. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it, these are important conversations. And, and I, I agree. I, I think that those that are listening really, really value them. Just the whole variety of conversations we've had so far so how are your how's your relationship with your ex-wife now it's improving okay for a long time it was very cold very snippy with each other even at our children's drop off um, our child's drop off and i i always felt powerless with the situations i was so terrified of making one little mistake you know, one little bruise on my daughter and she would take it and run with it and turn it into a whole legal procedure. And so now that the divorce papers are finalized, it's, it's the sense of autonomy that it's done. Mm-hmm. And now we can kind of work on this co-parenting relationship right. and not have this looming doom over our heads. Right. And so since the papers have been signed, things have you know, become a lot better. That's good. And hopefully that that continues to where you know there's there's a healthy equilibrium that's right. that's reached. So. Right. My lawyer reiterates all the time that you know you don't have to like her, but you have to have a professional working relationship with her. <laughs> right. Right. And it is. You know, you've got you've got a few years ahead of you. Right. Right. And and I really try and hold to that. So. Yeah. Well, that's good. All right. Well, let me turn to the Fab Five. Sure. And we'll. Are they going to come in and redo my house and (laughs) throw out my closet and teach me how to make avocado toast? (laughs) We don't have that kind of budget. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) 
<laughs> These are just questions, not people. Sorry. Totally fine. All right. So, first question is, is, what's the best part of being gay? The best part in general? Sure. Or I love just kind of how happy the community is. You know, we've been through a lot of crap, and everyone just really lives to be happy. And I think there's a lot of value in that. It's not easy. There are a lot of times, you know, where society is not good to us, politics are not good to us, but you get a good group of people from this community together and there's always a good time. Yeah. And the sense of family and community is just overwhelming and it's a beautiful thing to see that we've all been through our own darkness and we grow from that and we connect with each other. You know, all my life I have felt like I, I didn't belong even within the church and, you know, sometimes even within my own family. And so kind of having my, my gay family really fills that void. That's awesome. No, I, I agree. It, uh, we're not perfect, but there are some no. pretty awesome things about us, definitely. Right. right. So what has been the most surprising part of coming out? Probably the acceptance of everyone that I have interacted with, mm-hmm. other than my ex and all of that. <laughs> um... You know, my best friends of 12 plus years are very, very active in the LDS faith. And they absolutely support me 100%. And it's not that kind of lukewarm support where they say you support you, but then you never talk about being gay ever again. Right. You know, my best friend, like the co-host of my podcast, he'll ask how my dating life is. He'll ask how things are. They're very active in, in knowing what's going on. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And my family has been outrageously wonderful with it all. And, and showing them a happiness that I haven't had in my entire life is something that is truly, truly inspiring. That's awesome. Totally. So how is your relationship? Like, we've kind of gone over this, but how's your relationship different now that you have come out with, you know, with your family, parents, etc.? There's a lot less hiding you know, a lot of, a lot less repression, you know, if I don't like something, I don't like something. It's not a big deal. Right. If I think a different way than you, I think a different way than you. That's fine. And especially leaving the LDS faith too has kind of allowed all of us to, to formulate our own personalities and own opinions of things. And there's this understanding that if you don't agree, that's okay. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, transparency, I think, is, is the best with that is mm-hmm. you know this is how we live our lives and it might not be how I live mine not a big deal all this mental gymnastics to try yeah. to keep it all together yeah uh, in your coming out do you wish you would have handled any part of that process differently <laughs> oh can I go baby back to when I was like 18 <laughs> um, I think I... that's a question that a lot of people ask <laughs> And honestly, I think that's a double-edged sword. You know, I think regrets are are two-sided. You know, yeah, you might regret that, but the decisions and actions that I've done with my life have given me my daughter. Mm-hmm. And there's no way in hell that I would, you know, give her back for any reason. Right. But at the same time, you know, I, I recognize that I've hurt my ex. I recognize that I've hurt her family. And that hurts. Right. You know, I, I wish it wasn't like this. I wish we didn't have to go through this. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to feel that sadness. 
unfortunately, you know, she's made that a little bit more difficult with just how much pain she's put me through. Right. But I, I recognize that I was at fault as well, and that sucks. So. And I, I think that's a, a healthy assessment. I, you know, I, none of this was the gay agenda that we'd all marry women and... and it's not the gay agenda. It's not. I've heard a lot about that agenda. No, the other one. That's that's. It's different. It's changed. Oh, okay. You know? Okay. It's, I haven't gotten my my book it's yet. Updated. <laughs> you missed the memo, huh? I guess so. I'm not on that email chain. Yeah, we we get we got rid of the marrying women, you know, years ago. Okay, probably for life. <laughs> but you know, it was never, it was never in my intention for life to go this way. Right. But we're here, and you know. And it, you know, it's tough that they've had to go through and endure some of this, and and you know, we've played a part of that, and but you know, I think we did the best we could with right. what we had, right? And, and I don't think and none of it was. And people change, people evolve, and that was something really, really difficult for my ex to kind of understand. Is you know, the person you marry today might not be the same person you marry in ten years, and do you let that? change things or do you love that person more than the change right you know and again it's easier said than done obviously but yeah it's it's a challenge <clears throat> relationships are not static nope. and that, that happens even now you know and even in straight couples you know my right. my parents were married you know 20 plus years and then my dad all of a sudden decided he didn't want to be mormon anymore it rocked my mother's world but they they fought through it and they're happier than i've ever seen them before you know it I admire my mom for recognizing that her relationship was more than just a label. Right. And that really profoundly affected me. Mm -hmm. That, you know, I will love my daughter no matter what she does. She can be a drug-hard criminal in, you know, penitentiary or whatever, and I will go visit her every week if that's what it takes. Right. You know? So. Yeah, that's awesome. So, aside from that, and I think I know kind of some of the answer on this, but there might be more to it. All right. Other than the obvious, kids, family, boyfriend, what thing, what things in life bring you the most joy? Oh, man. There's a lot. I'm an avid horror movie fan. Mm -hmm. Horror movies were a way for me to kind of escape the crazy negativity that I was going through through this divorce. And watching someone else have it worse was really <laughs> cathartic for me. Okay. And that turned into like an obsession. I will watch horror movies morning, day, and night, on Christmas, on Thanksgiving, whatever it is. And that has helped me kind of develop my own podcast that I do with my best friend. Uh, we're the Scream Kings. Yeah, go ahead and plug it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. A shameless plug there. But other than that, I love reading. I'm reading American Gods right now and absolutely love it. I'm a huge cinema nerd in general. I love movies. I wanted to be a director when I was a kid. And so that inspired me to make a bunch of terrible but fantastic home videos. Um, Those are the best, right? They are the most amazing. And I love video games. I love camping. And I love cooking. And a few things that I've gotten into recently are watercolor painting. I'm terrible at it, but it's fun. Also, candle making, which is kind of a, a rarity, but that's been really fun. I mean, I, I, I don't mean to project anything, but isn't it kind of, I, for me, I had to be perfect everything when I when mm -hmm. I grew up. So isn't it kind of nice to be able to 
be terrible at something and just be yeah. okay with it. Yeah, that's. It's nice to, and to kind of explore these kind of these you know hobbies that. Back in the day, I would have been like, no, I can't do that. That will make me look too gay. Right. And I was like, I make candles, so what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's great. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, there's still moments where I'm doing something, and I'm like, wait, people are totally good. Well, that's fine, I am. Right. No, and like, I was, you know, growing up so worried about listening to Broadway musicals and letting someone see that on my iPod, and now it's like, I don't care. Right. And it's, it's a weird, it's a weird liberation, some right. of that stuff, or... Oh, this Levi jacket might make people think that I'm gay. Well, I am gay, so who cares? <laughs> right. I still want to wear it, uh, right. so I'm going to wear it. Right. Right. It's great. So, it's been fun. Awesome. Well, one last question, and then, well, I guess it's sort of the Fab Six, but it doesn't sound as good. So. Oh, that's okay. If somebody wanted to reach out to you and, and talk to you more and, and maybe you know get some insight or, or whatever... Are you okay with us putting you two together in contact? Absolutely, absolutely. That would that would make my day if I can help someone avoid the the mistakes that I've made, or even give advice, or or relate. Have someone to just talk to and listen. Please, absolutely. Great. So if that you've heard it here, if you'd like to get in touch with Max, just email us at podcast at gayfathers.org. And we will we will put you in touch with Max if you'd like to, to reach out to him and ask him questions or just talk to him. Um, well, thank you, Max. Thank it's you. It's been fun to it has. get to know you a little bit better and, and yeah. hear your story. And interesting to see some of the similarities. There. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gay Fathers Podcast. Subscribe to get alerts for each new show. A special thank you to our guests, hosts, and all those behind the scene that make this all possible. Want to share your story or have questions? Reach out to us at podcast at gayfathers.org.